You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Okay, so the text today is Luke chapter 18. Can you believe that we're already at chapter 18 after about 16 months? Almost like 14 months, right? So Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. So it's a short one, and it's a parable. So let me go ahead and read. I'll read the one verse, and you read the next one. Verse 1. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not not to lose heart. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God, no respect for anyone. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? Some of you have uh, read this parable or heard of this parable before. And uh, it's pretty simple, pretty easy to understand what's going on. There are two different characters here, right? The first character that's in here is, obviously, judge. Right? There's a judge and there's a widow. And uh, the thing about judge is, in this society, this is a you know, judge in the uh, Middle Eastern society. So in this society, what, is, what matters the most, and most of us are familiar with that, um, in Asian Eastern society, the honor system, right? What is most important is honor. But even in this Israel Jewish society, there are two things that's most important to everyone. And that is, fear God and honor people, right? Be respectful to people and fear God. Those are two things that's very important. So, in the Old Testament, when it's talked about judges, judges who rules the law against people and for, you know, convict and also uh, claim justice for people, their kind of the role, their expectation was that they were to fear God and they were to defend the oppressed people, hold justice for people and honor people. So, with that, look at this judge. So, in verse says, this judge is neither fear God nor had respect for people. So, he had neither. He didn't fear God. He didn't care about people. So, there are two ways to appear. In the, if you're going in, in this picture, if you're going in the court, you appeal to the judge for God's sake. And that's not just saying, for God's sake. Let's say, for the sake of God, because we all fear, man, fear God and you do, please, Bring justice on my case, right? That's one appeal. The other appeal is for my sake, because the honor is what matters in this society. Please bring justice in this case, right? That's two different appeals that you can make. None of them works for this judge because he doesn't care. he doesn't fear God, he doesn't care for people. Uh, there are two different methods. When those don't work, you can do two things, and that is you can either bribe or you can you know pressure the judge. Right, so we'll get to that a little bit. But 
this judge, he doesn't care. He's unjust. Right? He's ruthless. And up against this judge is the widow. A widow. And verse 3 says, verse 3 says, there was a widow who kept coming to him. So in the Middle Eastern culture, women do not go to court. It's, they just, you just don't, right? It's men who always go to court. So just the fact that she went to the court, to the judge, claims that she's alone. She's completely alone. Not only is she a widow, don't have a husband, she doesn't have a father, she doesn't have an uncle, she doesn't have a brother, she doesn't have a nephew. She has no one. Because men should go to court for her, but no one does, so she goes herself. That's what she is. She's completely alone. So those two options that she could have had, bribing or pressuring, she can't. Because she has no resource, she has no people to do so. So the only thing that she has, the only thing that she can is just keep going. Keep nagging, right? Keep nagging, keep going to him, keep bothering him. That's the only only option that she's got. That's the only thing that she can do. So when you look at this case, you hear about widow and you hear about this ruthless judge, and us, we look at it. Well, this is complete. This is set up for failure. This isn't going to work for the widow because the judge doesn't care, and widow has nothing, no resource. There's no hope in this case, right? But judge has a vulnerability. Judge is weak in one thing, and that is, he doesn't like to be bothered, right? So verse 4 reads, For a while he refused, but later he said, You know, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. The wear me out, literal translation of this is giving me a black eye. <laughs> so it's a, it's a term. This, you know, lady is bugging me, right? It's bothering me so much that Whatever it takes to keep you away, right? Because she's killing me with this, you know, her visit every morning, every day. So whatever it takes to keep her away, I'm going to do it. Yes. Right? That's the case of it. So, I don't know, have you ever done this before? Like kept bugging somebody so you get your way? Or has anyone like bugged you so, so you get this way? Sure, get their way? Children, right? Kids do it all the time, right? Like Hannah does it. Um, like the girls in my soccer team, seven-year-olds. I started coaching the team. I forgot how chaotic it is, how whiny these little girls are. They're like, can I be a goalkeeper? I want to be a goalkeeper. No, I want to be a goalkeeper. And these voices just keep echoing in my head. Like, ah, oh, it's painful, right? Okay, you, fine, you be the goalkeeper, right? The kids are really good at that. Like, are we there yet? 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 Can I have ice cream? Can I have ice cream? Can I have ice cream? Kids are great at it, right? Oh, fine, whatever it will you know, take to shut you up, I will do it. So... We, kind of exp- we have experience into this, so we know what's going on. The widow is winning the judge by being persistent, keep going, keep bothering him. The couple of insights in this story that we want to remember is one, how can a judge, how can the judge tolerate the widow? And we have to understand the cultural aspect of it, and I think the cultural aspect that most of us are familiar with, and that is, if this wasn't a woman, if it was a man who kept pastoring the judge, then he would immediately be thrown into jail. Like, what are you doing? I told you not to come again. Boom, there you go, you go to jail, right? That's what would happen. But because this is woman, it doesn't happen, right? It's the courtesy for women, and it's especially true in Eastern culture, right? Some of the Hispanic culture too, right? And we see this in the black community. And you know what I'm talking about, right? When in the street, when the thugs are around, who goes out there to clean up the street? Grandmas, right? (laughs) 
grandmas, you see this in black community, grandmas go out and start yelling at these thugs and gangsters, right? It's the same thing in Middle Eastern culture, right? I, I hear the stories where soldiers, so there's, you know, these militias, you know, hanging out with the guns and stuff, and these old ladies just walk by and start yelling at them, right? Put away your guns, and they'll go, all right, all right, fine, yes, 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 right? And they'll, they'll take that on, but if it was a man... What happened to him? He'd be shot, right? He'd be shot. Same deal with on the streets too. And we kind of understand this. Like in our culture, in Eastern culture, you know, woman holds that kind of the chivalry, right? That respect, the courtesy. So the woman, the widow is able to do this to the judge because she's not a man. And I want you to reflect that on the story of passion. Who remained with Jesus in the story of passion? Woman. Who followed Jesus to the cross? Woman. What, would you, what do you think would happen if the disciples followed Jesus to the cross? They would have been arrested. But they just cannot, even if a woman claims I'm a follower of Jesus, they cannot out of the respect for the woman. Who went to the tomb? Who's able to be brave? And it's also a character of women. Women are brave. I'll give you that, right? Women are brave. But it's also the, the chivalry, the respect, the courtesy that the, you know, society holds for women. So, kind of think about that as you, you know, read or, you know, hear or watch some of the Passion Week, um, the stuff on the Passion Week. Okay, so secondly, another insight is, when you look at the story you read, this is a very typical story of how much more principle. And we've seen this many times in the story of Luke. The greater, lesser, to greater. So, obviously, this is what it applies to. Verse 7, you look at it, it says, And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones? So, what we need to be clear about is the judge typically happens to be God in the many stories, but this judge is not God. He's far from God, right? He's complete opposite of God. But the way the story goes, if this unjust judge will give in or grant this widow because she keeps bugging, how much more will just, merciful, graceful God grant you justice, vindication? That's what it is. So, and so he goes on, Luke goes on, on from verse 7 to verse 8 um, about explaining the character of God. Will he delay long in helping them? Right? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. So, you know, he's developing character of God that is slow to anger, that is patience, he's graceful, that he responds quickly. But we know that's not always true because we are always think about our own timing. But what it is is that he's, that's the character of God, that he responds quickly in his own timing. He's slow to anger, he's patient, and he's graceful. So with all of that, what does the, what does the parable mean? Because after all, it is a parable, right? Parable always has a hidden meaning behind it. So there are two part about this, two things about this parable um, that we can take away from. And one is looking at contextually. This story is about, it's, you know, the, the, the parable is about legal case. The legal case is always about, in Jesus' days, matter of judge deciding to vindicate one party against another. Which means when uh, someone comes to judge to be vindicated, it means I'm going to pick you, choose your, you as my favor. I'm going to say your side of the story is true. Right? So both parables that follows, this one and the after one, is about God's vindication about for people. 
which makes it contextually what we talked about last week. I talked about this was about Jesus being vindicated. When Jesus said the revelation of Jesus, the apocalypse of Jesus, it means he's been vindicated. That when the temple falls, when Israel lies in ruins, that is a vindication of Jesus. That Jesus, what he said was true. He is who he said he was. Right? The people who were against him were wrong. It's the vindication of Jesus. Right? So this parable and the one after is all actually continuing to talk about vindication, but vindication of people, that we are vindicated. So vindication means basically that your side of the story is being upheld, that you are telling the truth, not the other party. So this is a story of vindication. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that on the parable that follows next week. Um, but because this is you know, Luke's Gospel, when we're reading Luke's Gospel, we have to honor the, the interpretation that he wants us to approach with. And this parable and the one next, Luke actually provides introductory statement, statement of purpose. And that's in verse 1. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus told them a parable about the, their need to pray always and not to lose heart. So, not only is it a story of vindication, but also this is a story about prayer. It's about praying always and not losing heart. And that's relevant to us because we don't always pray and we, don't, we tend to lose heart when we pray because we just don't get what we prayed for or it takes too long or it's just not we receive what we didn't expect, what we didn't want. And in, with the prayer, that ha- it has to do with a whole lot of waiting. Right? Prayer is all about waiting. And when you look at it, really, the human story, our life is about waiting. And the prayer also is about waiting. There's a one black um, preacher that said, uh, until you have stood for years knocking at the door, knocking at a locked door, your knuckles bleeding, you do not really know what prayer is. What prayer is, is about waiting. Not losing heart. And waiting. So, in light of the parable of the widow, the story is about prayer, and actually that's the approach I want to take for today. I want us to reflect on prayer. But not only just the prayer, but prayer with persistence. Because persistence requires patience, and patience leads to perseverance. Praying persistently. But, <laughs> but we also have to understand, there's a bad persistence, right? There is a bad persistence. Just like you know, we shouldn't give up, give up to children just because they're nagging and whining. Or, you know, people that are pushy and rude and demanding their ways, we shouldn't give up, right? Those are bad persistence. And with this, even in prayer, there's a bad persistence. And what it is, is when you're praying, if the answer comes out differently or God doesn't answer, that means you should no longer be persistent, right? You shouldn't just be nagging your way out. Um... Example of this widow is this widow, all she wanted was justice, right? She had the right reason to be persistent in her prayer, in her needs. So, persistence for what really matters. And persistence in prayer is only appropriate until there's no answer or another answer. So, this is about prayer. So, let's recap on prayers. What's a prayer? Prayer is you talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is conversation, right? Asking God, talking to God. 
and uh, the really when we look at Lord's prayer and various you know ways that we uh, talk about prayer is prayer is talking to God, but God as who? Not a buddy. <laughs> but God is who? Our father. father, right? That's what it means, Abba, Father. Heavenly Father. As a father, God, you know, God is dad. So, that means, you know, when, you, when we pray, we pray like we're talking to dad. We're talking to father. So, you don't need to pray. We don't need to pray eloquently with fancy words. Right? That's, you just don't do that. Like Hannah doesn't sit on the dinner table with me and say, Dearest Father, I thank you for doing this and that. Would you please grant me this justice or grant me ice cream? Right? It, kids don't do that. What do you do? What, does she, what, what do you think Hannah does when she wants ice cream? Right. She, goes, she just poke and say, ice cream. Right? It's that simple. Right? So... That means prayer doesn't need to be lengthy. It just needs to be short and to the point. And really, you know, personally, I like those prayers. (laughs) I don't like long prayer with fancy words. I like short, to the point prayers. And that's what you're talking, we're talking to that. Ice cream. (laughs) That's prayer, right? And prayer doesn't need to impress other people and, you know, try to teach people through prayer or lecture people through prayer or, you know, get at people. And we're going to talk about that in the next parable. That's not prayer, right? That's not how prayer is. Prayer is talking to Father. But I think prayer is incredibly, in our lives and in lives of most Christians, underused. Would you agree? We definitely don't pray enough, and we definitely, definitely don't pray persistently. And praying persistently means when you are keep going at one thing over and over and over again, that means that you're desperate. That I need this, I need this, I need this. I am desperate for it, I'm desperate for it. So we definitely don't pray enough, but we don't pray desperately. And then one of the reasons I, I decided to that, um, get this out of uh, this parable is Esther shared with me a few weeks ago that, you know, we just don't pray desperately. I think that's one thing that really lacks in our Christian life is we, we just we pray so casually and not desperately. See, there's the wise woman and there's the one who is more better than I, right? That's that's why I married her. Um, plus, she's hot, so that helps too. Uh, praying desperate. So that's what I want you to think about this morning. And you have these columns that you can write on. And um, I should have brought maybe a bunch of pens for you to fill out. But let's talk about these things. Personal prayer. What do you pray for yourself? And let's not talk about the trivial stuff. Let's not talk about things that you need and it will be received. But what do you pray for yourself? What do you need to pray for yourself desperately? Desperately, deep inside you. And you know, desperate prayers can be in several different fields, in topics. And it can be about justice. It can be about sickness. And we're talking about you. Not about you relating to other person. You, yourself. What do you need to pray desperately for yourself? 
And here's what I take. I think most of us, well, I tell you this, the world is full of pain and suffering, right? It's full of pain and suffering. All of us, all of us, I say, has issues. All of us has issues. You know, whether it's relational issues, daddy issue, mommy issue, or personal issues, or relational issues, or self-esteem, or self-pride, um, fear of men, you know, fear of people, sibling issues, whatever it is, we got issues. Like, I got issues. And that's one thing I started discovering is, that, man, I have issues. Um, I have issue of communicating to people. I have issue of self-esteem. And I think, I thought I was the person who was most confident. I can't think of anybody who's more confident than I, right? That's what I thought, but I got self-esteem issue because I am valuing my time by what I have achieved, what I've done. And some of you guys who grew up in like high-achieving family and parents, you have that issue. And a lot of, a lot of us has self, self-esteem issue or self-value issue that you just don't think you're worth much. And it all comes from the pain in our lives that, that I realized that, well, I'm not. I'm valuing myself for what I have done, not how I lived, and and it goes back to the stuff that happened in my childhood. All of us have issues. All of us do because there's a pain in our lives, and the promise of God is that God has come to in our lives to heal those suffering and pain in our lives. So when you think about what do you need desperately, think deep inside. What is your pain? What issues do you have? And this relates straight to the issue of faith. Because I think that most of us hold back in receiving faith is because we just don't think we're worth enough. We don't think that, well, Jesus died for me, great. But I'm not really worth that much. That's why we keep repeating, forgive me. That's why we don't think that, that what God has done is real. Because we don't value ourselves. Because we grew up with people who valued us less, who's distanced us, who's left us. So we're hurt, we have pain, and we got issues. And it leads to us holding back and receiving the love of God. So what is the pain, an issue in your life that you need to pray for? The healing that you need from God, desperately. And as you grow older, this is going to be the issue in your life, theme in your life, that you want to know how God can heal you and you want to pray to God for healing because that's what's going to change you. And people talk about how tragedy changes people. The healing changes you even more. Even in greater sense. So what is your desperate prayer that you need? Because we pray for casual stuff and a lot of times we pray for a situation to change. We pray for people to change in our lives. But what God really wants to do in our lives is to change us. It's to change us. And heal, bring healing to us. Because we need healing. And by healing us, we'll change to the image of Jesus. So we're not only just saying that we're living and loving like Jesus, that we actually want to become like Jesus. So I want you to think deep. What are you desperate that God should heal you and change you? What happened? What pain and suffering was brought to your life that you are desperate? God, 
I need you to come and heal me. Because this is affecting how I live, how I view, how I, how I perceive you, how I perceive people, how I act, and what I do. This is holding me back. This is bringing pain and depression in my life. And I'm ashamed. I need healing. All of us has desperate. And we need to pray desperately. So in the end, you know, it's about faith. Because desperate prayer needs to us to desperately have faith in Jesus. And when Jesus says here in verse 8, said, And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He's not talking about, oh, there's not going to be a few. What he's saying is, who's going to persevere? Who's going to be persistent? Who's going to endure? See, are you going to endure? And what's it going to take you? Right? Faith is what matters. Is our faith going to endure? Second part of desperate prayer is for community. And we need to talk about this because community is the best form that God has left for us to help our faith to endure. This is God's best idea, this church, this community. right? If you say, oh, we don't need the church, then you're saying, Jesus, you're wrong. I got a better idea about how to endure my faith. It's community matters. We need to be desperate in our prayers for the community. How many of you pray for the church, this community, for one another? We need to be desperate for this community because as this community grows, you grow. And there's a saying in Nazarene and Wesleyan you know, um, tradition that there is no holiness apart from communal holiness. We grow together. We grow together. And, you know, <clears throat> I share this with you. I've seen through the past year you don't see it, and I don't see it either, week in, week out. Like, you're not here next week or something, and you say something dumb next week and whatever. And um, You know, I don't see it week in, week, and you don't see it week in and week out. But you look at it over a week, over a year, you guys, all of you have grown immensely. All of you have grown so much. And that's because this community is growing together. And all I want for this community is for you to grow. Not in numbers. Because I think if you grow in the likeness of Christ, there's going to be more people, right? Because God will send more people and we will be reaching out to people and this will be an authentic community where people will join in because they want to know Jesus and they want to grow. Is, are you growing? And I believe you are. And I know you are. But what's our desperate need for this community? As we want to grow and as we want to grow. And I tell you, there are a few things is obviously continuing continual growth, but also we need to have leaders step up. That it can't be Josh, me, Esther doing stuff. It need, we need you to step up. Because if we are doing it, this church will never grow. Because we, you, the community is at our capacity, and our capacity isn't a lot. Right? It's not a lot. You need to take step up. You need to take leadership and... Get stuff moving and take care of stuff, whether it's preparing for, you know, a Sunday gathering or Wednesday meals or setting up, you know, putting things away or putting together a committee to uh, set up for uh, retreat or putting together like a life group and little small groups together. Whatever it is, it needs to be you guys initiating and leading. Otherwise, this will not happen. Right. And especially if we're thinking about moving to another place. It's going to be us running around. That's not going to happen. It's going to take you to step up and say, I'm going to take care of this because this is your community. 
So that's one of our desperate needs is God will move your heart and make you commit and sacrifice so that you would help the community to grow. But I think the greater desperate needs, and we're seeing this more clear and clear, and I actually know what's going on with the Holly and Lily. And that it's related. Because we desperately need a female pastor, female leader. And, you know, Daniela and, you know, Connie and Nikki and Jen and you guys are all here. But you need someone who's female who will guide you, who can talk to you, who can relate with you, who can pray with you, who can guide you, who can mentor you and coach you and go this through with you, who would hold you. And, you know, I look back more and more. One thing that I have been missing is female, even though Josh tried to fill that role. <laughs> we need actual, literally, female leader. And I look back, and you know, some of the people that has left Lifelight, they didn't leave because they didn't like Lifelight or whatnot. I think we just lacked the presence of female leadership. And we, in our community, we have mostly just people who are growing, not yet completely matured in faith, who are still just kind of maturing. So we need somebody who's mature in faith and leading, a female pastor. So that's our desperate prayer. We need leadership to step up. We also need someone, a female, to come and lead our girls, our ladies. We need that desperately. That's our desperate prayer. So are you praying for community? Desperately. And as you can see, this is all about kingdom of God. Because your faith is about kingdom of God. Church is about kingdom of God. And the people is all about kingdom of God. So the third part that about praying desperately is those you love. Are you praying desperately for those you love? And I don't mean the you know the immediate immediate needs, but something that's trivial, like, oh, you know, my mom needs, you know, better car insurance, my mom needs, you know, health care, or my mom needs this and that, but deeper needs. Right? Deeper needs. And when it comes to that, when it comes to deeper needs, it has to be about their salvation, right? How desperately are you praying for those you love about their salvation? Because once you have salvation taken care of, there isn't really that deep, desperate needs. I look at my parents. My parents are older. Like you guys, I think when I look at you guys, you guys are at an age where your grandparents will die. People die. I don't know if that's a news to you, but people die, right? You're at a play age where your grandparents are going to start dying. And so I, I start hearing some of the prayer needs about your friends, grandparents dying and grandfather dying, and that's going to happen. My grandparents died when I was in college and when I was in 20s, right? That's the age that people die. And, you know, my parents, I'm expecting my parents are going to die in 10 years, within 10 years, if that. They're going to be sick and they're going to have issues with you know, health issues and whatnot, but none of those are desperate needs for my parents because I know they're saved. They may be sick, they may have some pain and suffering, but they're going to be with the Lord. And none of them are desperate. My more desperate prayers are for my friends who don't know Jesus. So what are your desperate prayers for those you love? Are you desperate? Are you praying desperately? And if you don't have somebody who are non-believers in your prayers for others, that you pray desperately, then that needs to change, right? Who are you praying desperately? 
how is Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, bringing you, in your mind, the people that you need to be praying for? People that you need to go and talk to and comfort and share and build a relationship and reach out to. Who are those people? Persistent prayer. Like this lady. And God will grant that prayer. God will. But are we praying persistently and desperately? Do we not trust God enough? And all in all, you know, all we do is just model after Jesus. Because Jesus prayed persistently and desperately. So desperate, here's the one of the verse from the, the Easter. It says, in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, in his anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Jesus prayed desperately, persistently. And if we're to model Jesus, we need to model Jesus' prayer life. To reflect on how we need God desperately in our own lives, lives of community, and also those that we care and love. Let me pray. And uh, before I pray, I'm going to give you about a, well, however long I can hold the awkward silence. I'm going to give you like 30, 30 seconds or a minute to just kind of for you to reflect in silence of these prayers that you need to think. And uh, as you think, and if you want to make a note, then go ahead and make a note on your uh, sermon guide or continue to be thinking. Thinking about how we haven't prayed desperately, how we underused prayers and what are the things in our lives that we need to pray desperately. Let's go ahead and close your eyes and um, reflect on that. Father, I pray that you help us realize the areas in our lives, in the lives of those we care, that are desperate, and that we will trust you enough to bring it, bring them to you in persistent and desperate prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.